Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 165 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for the afternoon of Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. Happy to be here. Going to do a couple of different things today. We're going to talk quarterback odds for 2021. I'm going to go through a couple of different teams, talk about the current Vegas odds on their starting quarterbacks, and I'm going to give you some quick thoughts and takes on each of those potential options. We're also going to talk AFC, NFC playoffs. Doug Farrar and myself over at Touchdown Wire USA Today, we are doing a series. We did it last week, Anatomy of a Wild Card win. Now we're doing it, Anatomy of a Divisional Round win, where we highlight either one scheme, one matchup, or something that each team playing this weekend should do or could do to win their divisional round game. So we'll go AFC, then NFC. You know, so we got playoffs, we got quarterbacks. I'm even going to talk for a little bit near the end of the show about some off-season plans for the Scotia Slack channel, which you might want to tune in for. And you might want to join if you're not a member of the Scotia Slack channel. Um, so a little bit to come on that. First, our usual cavalcade of announcements. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. Like I said, USA Today Touchdown Wire, a couple of different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. And also with Matt Waldman at the MattWaldmanRSP.com. I do want to plug here at the outset, not just the divisional round anatomy of a win pieces that you can see over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I sat down with Ed Valentine and Tony Rassiopi over at Big Blue View to do a podcast yesterday that came out on that did come out on Wednesday Wednesday morning where we talked Daniel Jones obviously it's a giant show the Big Blue View podcast but Tony and I got deep in the weeds on quarterbacks quarterback development you know how to develop young QBs how to coach up young quarterbacks concepts schemes drills like a lot of super nerdy quarterback football stuff so if that sounds like something you want to check out Definitely give it a listen. Definitely give Tony a follow on Twitter. You can he, he plugged his uh, Twitter account, but he's TonyRaz03. Um, I trust Tony more than anybody else, myself included, when it comes to quarterbacks. He coaches quarterbacks. He's been an instructor at the Man and Passing Academy. And they don't just give that gig out to anybody. Like, you've got to be elite of the elite. Like, it's being an instructor at Top Gun. Like, Jester wasn't some dude just walking in and off the street. He was one of the best. So is Tony. Uh, let's talk AFC playoffs here. Um, that's where I'm going to start because this is a Patriots show. We'll work chronologically. Um, we'll do Bills, Ravens, then Browns, Chiefs. I want to start when the Baltimore Ravens have the football. I think there are two things that the Bills have to be ready for. One is counterbash. I've I've talked about this somewhat. Just to remind people, counterbash is a run design that the Ravens have used a lot. Bash is kind of short for back away. And the way the design works is this. Guard and tackle will pull to one side of the field. Running back will potentially run to the other. Again, that's that back away element. And so if you set this up in your mind, Lamar Jackson in the shotgun, Gus Edwards standing to his right. Gus Edwards will act... When the boss is snapped, like he's going to take an outside sweep to the left. 
left tackle, left guard, they will pull to the right. So you have two offensive linemen going to the right on this play, back potentially going to the left. Lamar Jackson takes the snap. He is going to be reading the end man on the line of scrimmage that is on the side vacated by the pullers. So he's staring at that guy that's basically, if you just want to think generally, around near where the left tackle just vacated. And he is going to read that player and see what he does. If he stays home and plays the potential handoff, Jackson's going to keep the football and follow those two pullers. If that guy sort of crashes down to play Jackson, Lamar's going to hand it off. Now you've got the edge. And the reason why this design is so deadly for defenses is it messes with your run keys at the second level. If you're the Mike, the Will, you see those guys pull, you want to get to the edge. And so that sets up a third option for Jackson, which is that guy, that end man that he's reading, stays home to play the potential handoff. Linebackers scream out of there to play the potential Jackson keep following those pullers. Jackson keeps it, doesn't follow the pullers, and just attacks upfield immediately. And, and so it's a tough design, but I did a piece in this series highlighting how the Titans kind of slowed that down. They had a defensive tackle. They were playing a lot of three-man fronts. Defensive tackle that would sort of stay, or defensive end, defensive tackle type that would sort of stay home and watch Lamar. Overhand defender would play the potential handoff. And sometimes what the Titans would do, they would cross-key Lamar Jackson and the running back. So the running back that looks to be across from the the linebacker, excuse me, that looks to be across from the running back, he's actually reading the quarterback, and the linebacker across from the quarterback is actually reading the running back. And if you want more on that, you can check out a series that Cody Alexander did on Defend and Bash um, at the Coach A on Twitter. So they did some of that as well. And the other thing that they did is they asked their safeties to really scream downhill in run support. Now, anytime you start asking safeties to scream downhill and run support, that opens up the play action. So the Bills have to be wary of that. you know. But in stop and counter bash, they're going to ask a lot of the defensive front players, and they're going to ask a lot of their safeties. Now, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, they're two of the best at what they do. They're perhaps the best safety tandem in the league, and so they might be up for the challenge. The other thing that I think that they need to do, they need to play some press coverage. Now, I'm not saying press man. Because against Lamar Jackson, you probably don't want to play a lot of man coverage. But you got to show press and then drop into zone, press bail. You can go press quarters, more on press quarters in a second. Because a lot of Lamar and his throws on Sunday were free access plays, right? Where he's got an RPO element. you got guys pulling in front of a potential handoff. But he's seeing the coverage over Hollywood Brown. And if he sees a cushion pre-snap, he's simply going to throw it. He's going to take what they give him and just throw it. You can't give free access. More on that later. So that's what the Bills have to do. I think they need to press a little bit. They need to stop counter-bashing the run. They're going to have to ask their safeties to be involved. And if this is a snow game, that might be critical. Now let's talk about the Bills and their offense, and what Baltimore might want to do. Because it's hard to come up with a way to sort of slow down Josh Allen right now. But in looking at what the Colts did early in that game, 
They showed a lot of mug pressure looks and dropped out of them and or confused Josh Allen with them. There was a play early in the game where they showed that mug look. Then they two linebackers, just so people are understanding what I'm saying, mug looks are when you have your linebackers right on the line of scrimmage, two-point stance, usually in the A-gaps, but he can do it in whatever gap, and you're showing blitz. That's a mug look. Now, it doesn't mean that you're coming, and you might get into the sort of a sim pressure world where those guys do come and then defensive tackles drop where you're pressuring the quarterback, but you simulated one pressure and really bringing another and dropping unconventional guys into pass coverage. So there's a lot you can do with this. Seth Galina, Steven Ruiz, those guys have written a ton about sim pressures this year, so check them out. Deontay Lee as well, by the way, shout out Deontay. You're going to be doing some work over at PFF, which is fantastic to see. Super happy for him. So Indianapolis showed him some of these looks. There was one play where it was a third down. They showed Allen a mug look. They dropped. They took away his first read when that guy, a linebacker, dropped under it. Allen then got flushed, had to throw it away. Another thing they did, and this was another play early in the game, where Bills go empty on a third down situation. They again, Indianapolis mugs. And what's interesting is, and you can see it in the piece, I do a video breaking this down, Allen points out one guy is the mic. They saw they slide the protection to the will, which is what usually happens. But the mic is the guy that blitzes. And since so they've slid the protection away from him, there's a free runner. Allen wants to throw hot, but the will, the guy who they slid the protection to, at the snap of the ball, immediately screams across the formation to take away the hot read. And Allen then has to sort of bail the pocket because he's got a free runner, can't throw his hot read. He has to throw it away. And I think Baltimore would be wise to do some of that. Mug, pre-snap, then either drop or blitz from different spots, force Allen away from that first read, or give him a hot read by blitz design and then take it away. Because the defensive coordinators, Leslie Frazier, they understand pass protection. So they know, look, if you mug, they're going to slide one way, blitz away from the slide. And there are blitz packages, Belichick does this as well, where you're reading the turn of the center. Both linebackers can mug in the A-gap, and if you see that center's face, you drop and the other guy goes because they're sliding the protection away from you. I mean, excuse me, they're sliding it towards you, so you drop and you go backside. And so that might be something Baltimore would be wise to do. In the piece, I have examples of Baltimore showing some mug looks. They tend to just come after you. They don't draw, but they might be wise to do some of that on Saturday night. Now let's talk Sunday's game. You've got Browns at Chiefs. From the Chiefs' perspective, I think this game plan is pretty easy. When you have the football attack downfield, the the Cleveland Browns have safeties. Strong safety types. Sandejo, Redwine, these are more strong safety type of players. When they've been asked this season to play more half-field roles, single-high roles, they've struggled. They've given up some huge plays in the vertical passing game. And does that sound in any way, shape, or form like what the Kansas City Chiefs want to do offensively, push the ball downfield? And so I think that game plan's easy. It would surprise me if... Kansas City comes out and starts throwing, you know, smoke and tunnel screens and handing the ball off 45 times. I think they're going to push this thing downfield and try to score points in bunches because you can get over the top of that defense. Now, when the Browns 
have the chance to slow down Patrick Mahomes, I, I think there is a path to do that even with sketchy safety play. And it starts up front. You know, you, you can all make the jokes about, you know, real defensive coordinator chalk talk mindset where you're going to be plus one in the box, plus one to the boundary, plus one to the field, plus two in the secondary, you know, scheme everything up exactly right. It's tough to do when you don't have the guys to do it. The Browns have a guy that can do it. And what I mean by that is this. When when you see the teams that have had success slowing down Patrick Mahomes and company, whether it was the 49ers in the Super Bowl, you know, the, the Chargers earlier this year, part of the recipe was pressure with four with a stud guy up front and then play seven over four or seven over five in the secondary and you've got a numbers advantage. And they've got a stud up front at Miles Garrett that can get home that could beat doubles, that can beat good defensive offensive tackles, excuse me, that can beat the chip and then offensive tackle situation. And so you've got a guy that can give you the opportunity to get pressure with four, which allows you to play that seven over four or seven over five situation in the secondary where now your safeties aren't as stressed because it's more of a double situation or you're playing too high. And so if they can get Miles Garrett going, that's the first step. And the second step is, even if Garrett doesn't get home, you do some of the things that we've seen Bill Belichick do, right? Where you've got, you're cutting crossers, you're doubling guys, you're taking away stuff in the middle of the field. You're using the numbers advantage to take away throws for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the easy answer to say, how do the Cleveland Browns win this game is, they got to play the perfect football game. You know, I don't think they have to play the absolutely perfect football game. Um, but they need to be pretty darn good to pull off this win. They can do it. I wouldn't bet on it, though. Up next, we're going to talk about the NFC games, Brady versus Breeze, McVeigh versus LaFleur. Lots of fun stuff to break down on this one, so that is ahead here on episode 165 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 165 of The Sco Show. I'm going to talk some NFC playoff stuff right now with you again we are going to work through this chronologically we are going to start with saturday afternoon's game which is your number six seed los angeles rams going to the frozen tundra to take on the green bay packers and i want to start with when the packers have the football and how the packers can perhaps win this game and when you look at the matchup between Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers versus Brandon Staley in this Rams defense. A lot of people are going to go immediately to the idea of Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams, lock him down and then do some other stuff and let Aaron Rodgers destroy worlds. And I get that. But I think this might be a situation where if you're LaFleur, you're going to realize that you have an opportunity to beat them with other guys because of what you anticipate them to do. Now, hear me out here. One of the things that Brandon Staley has done this year is to show too high pre-snap, dare teams to run the ball because of that pre-snap look, sometimes stay in a too high coverage, cover two, cover four, cover six, but other times spin it to some sort of one high where you're bringing somebody down into the box anyway, 
but mostly as a robber to take away crossing routes and things like that. A lot of the elements of that, you know, Sean McVay offense, for example, and elements that you will see the Green Bay Packers do outside zone boot action off of it, throwing crossers. And so as a result, you have a situation where teams just sort of, people just sort of assume that, oh, the Rams are a too high team, but they're, they're not predominantly a too high team. But they might want to be a too high team this week, and here's why. And I got these numbers from Doug Farrar. This season against two safety coverage looks, cover two, two man, cover four, cover six, and Tampa two, Devontae Adams has 18 catches on 27 targets for 223 yards, 57 yards after the catch, and one touchdown. You might think, is that good? Well, let's do this. Against single high coverage this season, cover one, cover three, combination coverages thrown in there as well. Adams has 72 catches on 95 targets for 970 yards, 576 of those after the catch, and 14 touchdowns. If you want Devontae Adams to beat you, stay in single high. So my guess is Brandon Staley is going to stay in more too high looks and dare Matt LaFleur to run the football. And so if I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm doing something that he has done a very good job of this season. I'm getting in 12, I'm getting in 13, I'm getting in 21, I'm getting in 22. I'm show and run. But then I'm throwing out of that against potentially these two high looks if they stay there to guys like MVS and Robert Tunyon. Or I'm running the football a bit. If Staley's approach is going to be, I want to stay in too high because I've seen these numbers. I want to take away Devontae Adams. You know, even if I put Jalen Ramsey on him. Then I think I will go heavy, say, look, you want to stay in that too high? I'll run the ball a bit. And I know that's a bit counterintuitive with some of the stuff I've talked about, particularly with the Chiefs and using sub-packages against them defensively to dare them to run the ball. But this might be a thing you want to do if you're Matt LaFleur. Now, coming at this from the other side, how do the you know Rams win this game? I think you have to take away Devontae Adams some way. Now, maybe it's as simple as we're going to stay in our single high stuff but it's a Jalen Ramsey, Devontae Adams shadow game. Like, Jalen, this is your dude. Everywhere he goes, you go. I want to know what flavor of gummies chewing by the end of the game. To quote that line from Hoosiers. And so I think that's what you have to do. I think, I think you know, this game, a, a lot of the focus might be on, you know, who the Rams are starting a quarterback, what the Rams are going to do offensively. Green Bay's defense has gotten better down the stretch, but I think this game is going to be determined by, you know, Lafleur versus Staley, like that matchup right there. You know, and these are two of the smart young minds on their respective sides of the ball in the NFL right now. Um, so I, I I can't wait. You know, a lot of people say a divisional round week is the best week of the NFL season. I think this is one of those, you know, matchups that make that a true statement. Because the matchup of minds between LaFleur and Staley, you know, fascinating. 
know, I think when the Rams have the ball, you might see some of those six-man fronts like we saw New England do. You know, Green Bay's probably going to want to take away the run game, obviously, you know, whether it's Goff or John Wolford. Um, but I'm, I'm, I really want to see that offense, defense, Packers versus Rams. I'm fascinated by that. The other game, obviously, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Saints, Bucks. Third time these teams have met this season. But this is a different Tampa Bay offense than those first two meetings. You know, coming out of their bye, they've had some really good games, some good games on the offensive side of the ball. And watching that Tampa Bay offense in recent weeks and discussing that with some people like John Ledyard, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're running mesh. And I've talked about this a little bit, but they're doing stuff in the horizontal passing game and they're getting better at it. What was funny was if you look at, I'm going to be dropping a video soon over on Twitter through the Scouting Academy about them running mesh. And the first example I found of it post by, it's haphazard at best. Like guys seem unsure of executing the crossing routes. There's a lot of traffic and hesitation and they still hit a big gain for it. By the time you get to the Washington game in the wildcard round, it's crisp. It's clean. Mike Leach would be proud. And what makes it dangerous is, obviously, when you think mesh with those two routes underneath, you want to run it against man. The Saints have done some man coverage this year. But Arians, say what you want about them. There is an example of them running it against Atlanta, you know, in the second meeting between those two teams this year, where... In typical Arians fashion, you have the crossers underneath, but you've got a backside zone beater. You've got a high-low on a flat route and a deep-out route. So if it's cover three, cover two, whatever, if you get zone coverage, now you've got your zone beater. And for all the people that say, you know, you don't need to help quarterbacks or quarterbacks should be able to figure it out, this is Tom Brady we're talking about, and they're giving them man, man beaters and zone beaters on the same play. And so I, I think if you're New Orleans, you've got to be ready for this different offense. You might need to play some combo coverages. You might need to do some split safety stuff. You know, but Meg some people, man everywhere he goes, you know, play some split safety looks, um, but have the calls put in where guys know how to handle mesh, but you've still got zone coverage rules or, you know, pattern match rules on the backside against it, you might have to play a lot of pattern match in this game. You know, given the new variations of this offense, that's what you might need to do. Now, for the Saints to win this game, I think, you know, staying with this matchup, because a lot of it, I think, when the Saints have the ball is going to depend on Drew Brees. You know, how healthy is he? How... Effective will he be? He's so great at attacking the seams. Seth Galina's done a ton on this. You know, can he make those seam route throws? If he can, that's a dangerous offense. But we all know what sort of the book on Brady is. It's it's a gap interior pressure. You know, and I think Dennis Allen is gonna have to find ways to get that done. Now, Ali Marpet is a stud. And Doug Farrar and I have talked about this. Doug has some incredible numbers on EPA, blown pass block rates and things like that. When Marpet is healthy and in the lineup and when he's not, you know, and getting him back was critical. You know, when he was out for a stretch this season, that was 
right around the time this Buccaneers offense struggled a bit. The fact that he's healthy and ready to go is huge. Now, Kappa's injury is going to be a factor. Because you all know with Tom Brady, a gap pressure, either side, that's critical. Well, Marpet's back and he's healthy and that's great. But they have a fractured ankle situation with Kappa, so he's going to be out. You know, so you might see a lot of situations where Dennis Allen says, all right, we know how good Ali Marpet is. We know what he can do. And we're not going to ban our head against the wall trying to get pressure against him. We're going to take Cameron Jordan. We're going to take Marcus Davenport, maybe Zach Bond even. We're going to design some blitz packages to attack Kappa's replacement, Stinney, and try to get some A-gap pressure that way. And if they have success with doing that, then I think the Saints will have a pretty good shot at slowing down this offense enough where their own offense can outscore, and that's how the Saints win. So similar to the last game, the matchup that I'm going to be watching is when the Bucs have the football against Dennis Allen and that Saints defense. And I'm going to be watching up front. I'm going to be watching those A-gaps. You know, so pay attention to that when these teams kick off on Sunday. So there you get my thoughts on the playoffs. If I were to make picks right now, I'm going pretty chalky. Um, I'm going with Buffalo because I think there's something happening there with Buffalo. And I'm going with Kansas City because I think that one's a pretty safe one. I'm going with the Packers. And I'm going with the Saints. I'm picking all the favorites. It's, it's, it's extremely chalky. You know, the, the the cleanest upset I see is Tampa Bay just because I think this is a much different team. Actually, these are two completely different teams in a sense because you get the Breeze injury. Brady and company have figured some things out. So I think the most likely upset is Tampa Bay. Um, but that's kind of where I feel sitting here right now on Wednesday. Up next, we're going to talk some quarterback landing spots and some stuff that I'm going to be doing at the Slack channel this offseason. That's all ahead here on episode 165 of this Go Show. Mark Schofield back with you now here in episode 165 of the SCO Show. And I'm going to talk here in a second about some quarterback landing spots, working through some odds that I got sort of sent to me via email that I thought were kind of interesting and worth checking out. But before I do that, I want to talk about something that I'm going to be doing starting pretty much by the time you hear this over at the SCO Show Slack channel. It's going to be sort of a football 101 channel. Um now that the season is kind of winding down and this year draft season is going to be different, not going to be doing a lot of traveling. For example, I'm not going to the Senior Bowl, not going to the Combine. Um, there might not even be a Combine as we're used to seeing it. COVID-19 has changed the game and continues to change the game. I'm going to have some more time on my hands. And what do I do when I have time on my hands? I try to learn. And I mentioned earlier, talking about press quarters, well... Part of the reason that that was kind of floating around in my mind is because the other day I was watching a clinic. I was watching a clinic given by a coach at the University of Maine, their special teams coordinator and safeties coach, Jared Keyte, J-R-E-D-K-E-Y-T-E. And it was a, a clinic presentation on Maine's press quarters coverage, press cover four. And a lot of it got into sort of like drills and how, you know, they coach the guys to do it technique-wise. Um, so I, I didn't obviously take a ton of notes on that section. Um, 
But the philosophy behind press quarters I thought was interesting because, you know, he's talking about the college game and all the RPO stuff and the glance routes off of RPO. And he said, the reason we play press quarters is we don't want to give quarterbacks free access throws. And what he means by that is if you're playing off coverage, cover three, you know, standard cover four where you're playing off at a seven by one, seven yards off the line of scrimmage or something like that, the quarterback can catch and throw. You don't want to give them that. Not in the college game and certainly not in the NFL game. And so that's where my mind started spinning about how you're going to defend Lamar Jackson, especially seeing all those free access throws he had against the Titans. And so that's one clinic I've watched recently. I've been watching some Kyle Kogan stuff. I've been watching some Kyle Scott, defensive backs coach at Alabama on their split safety stuff. And so what I'm going to be doing in this channel is dropping in links to stuff as I'm watching them and people can watch them and just learn from them. People can watch them and ask me questions. Um, so I'm going to kind of turn it into a, you know, learning tool for people that want to learn about the game. If you've got stuff that you've watched and want to ask me about, whatever, um, there'll be an entire channel sort of dedicated to that. So it'll be a football 101 channel um, because I've, I've long maintained that part of the joy I still get from watching this game and doing what I do and, you know, walking down into the basement office each Monday morning to turn on the film, knowing that I get to watch football is to learn stuff like this. When you see things that you've either learned about or new things that you can now learn about or whatever, I find a ton of joy in that. And if you're like me and that sounds cool, this is an opportunity for you. Um, so if you're already in the Slack channel, great. You know, you'll be able to find it because I'll be dropping a link in the main chat uh, to this channel. If you'd like to be a part of the Slack channel because this sounds intriguing to you, let me know. Because also... We are going to be setting up again our second annual seven-round mock draft. This is something we did last year. It was initially going to be one and done, one round and done, but we were people dug it, so we kept rolling. We did all seven rounds of the mock. We had trades. We had everything. We had spreadsheets. Um, we had you know so many of the great listeners, Jessica Brand, Dave Archibald, Jim Reynolds, you know John Lamaracus, so many other great people, Andy Likens, you know, that have made the Slack channel something much, much, much bigger than me. Like the, the Slack channel has grown in something bigger and more impressive than me. And it's awesome to see it. It's a community of its own. Um, it's, it's well worth joining. Again, it's free. I'm not cost. I'm not charging people anything or anything like that. Um, you just want to communicate with mostly Patriots fans, but all football fans, then you're welcome to do it. Hit me up for an invite just shoot me a DM at Mark Schofield or you can email me mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com to get an invite. Um, so that's some plans for the off season and the future of the Slack channel, um, which again, it doesn't cost a cent. It will never cost a cent. Like if I go wherever, the Athletic, ESPN, CBS, Fox, whatever, if I end up making it huge, that is always going to be a, a, a free outletting community. Like, I will stick to that. You will hold me to that. If you ever see me charging for a Slack channel access, like clip this and shove it in my face and call me on it. Keep the receipts, as they say. Let's talk some landing spots here. I, I know we're going long here, but you know now that we've started doing these three-segment shows, they're running a little bit longer, and I think it's good because we get to talk about some more stuff. Uh, I did get an email um, from a website called, I want to make sure I get it right, sportsbettingdime.com. Um, with some current odds on starting quarterbacks. And so I'm going to run through them kind of quickly because there's a lot here. For example, with Atlanta, the favorite, Matt Ryan, 1-4, to four, or minus 500, depending on how you're looking at it. 
Justin Fields at 13 to 1 plus 1300. Fields 7 to 1 plus 700. Um, my pick there is Matt Ryan. I think that one's pretty easy. I think even if they draft Justin Fields, who I think would be a great fit, Ryan started. This is again for week one of the 2021 season. Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater at 1 to 2, minus 200, favorite there by a long shot. Um, then the field at 5 to 2, Dwayne Haskins at 19 to 1. I'd be leading field there. Something tells me they go in a different direction, not Dwayne Haskins, even for week one. Sensing a lot of angst in Panthers Twitter about Teddy Bridgewater. For Chicago, Nick Foles, 2 to 1, plus 200. Mitch Trubisky, 5 to 2, plus 25, plus 250, excuse me. And Field, 8 to 5, plus 160. So Field, the slight favorite there, and I think with reason, right? I don't think they can run it back with either of those two guys. I think they got to go in a different direction. Now, who that is, I'd say somebody on the secondary quarterback market, whether it's an Andy Dalton, Cam Newton. Um, I'd be surprised if one of those two was starting week one. Dallas, the clear favorite. Dak Prescott, I think that makes sense. They'd be insane to let him walk. Denver, Drew Locke, the favorite, 37, minus 233. Then Field at 4-1. to one. Carson Wentz, Sam Donald, Matthew Stafford. I think it's a lock week one. Now, the interesting thing there is apparently Elway was the lock guy. And now with Elway sort of moving up in a sense in that he's sort of taking an overall overarching type position and not the hands-on day-to-day general manager, somebody might be coming in who they just hired. Want to get the name right? Because they just hired, as I'm recording this, George Patton. Um... George Patton, um, formerly with the Minnesota Vikings, now your new general manager. Um, with the Denver Broncos, he was their assistant general manager and vice president of player personnel. Mike Kills, who covers the Broncos, said that among the top-tier candidates for the Broncos' GM job, Patton, Terry Fontenot, Champ Kelly from Chicago, there was a difference of opinion with respect to Drew Locke. Now, Mike Kills didn't say who thought what, but there were opinions from, look, if you've got a chance to go draft a top quarterback, you go get him, to, look, where you are in the draft and free agency, like nobody's going to be better than Drew Locke, so might as well run it back with him. And three, you've invested in Drew Locke, so no matter what, like this is what you've got to build around. So difference of opinion. We don't know who had what opinion, but there's a chance that the new guy doesn't like Locke as much as Elway did. So something to think about with respect to Denver. Houston Texans, the favorite is Deshaun Watson, but then there's Tua. So Watson at one to three minus three hundred, and then Tua is four to one plus four hundred there. Indy, the favorite is Philip Rivers, then Brissett, Wentz, and Darnold. I, I think it's Rivers if he decides to come back. If he doesn't, Wentz makes a lot of sense there. And who knows with the new Philly coach situation, what they're going to be doing. Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, followed by Gardner Minshew. And Minshew's probably just there as a plan B situation. You're starting Lawrence from day one. I I finally started really diving into Lawrence over the past 24 hours. I got three drives into the game against Notre Dame, and I put the pen down. Like, don't overthink this. New England Patriots, which is where... No, we're not going to close there, but we're just kind of working in alphabetical order. The favorite, although none of these odds are like clear favorite here, is Jimmy Garoppolo at four to one, Cam Newton at six to one, Cinnamon at seven to one, Matt Ryan at fourteen to one, 
Fitzpatrick 15 to 1, Stafford 19 to 1, Rivers at 30 to 1, Winston 75 to 1, Mac Jones at 80 to 1, Trey Lance at 90 to 1, and then Field. I can't, there's got to be either a typo here or something because they've got it 4 to 1 and then plus 4,000, which would be 40 to 1. So I'm not sure what's happening there, but I don't like any of those odds, to be honest. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money, but I wouldn't be putting your money on who's starting week one for the Patriots, especially not right now. Now, if I'm going to say just take on a full-on flyer, I'm, I might throw five bucks down on Mac Jones just because why not? Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't think about paying off the mortgage with one of these bets, kids. Interesting enough, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Wentz is still the favorite, two to three, uh, then Hurts at three to one, Field at 11 to two. The one I want to close with is Washington, now the favorite, Taylor Heineke at 5-2, to two, which is just incredible. Um, and then Alex Smith at 3-1, to one, Cam Newton, interesting enough, at 8-1, to one, and I'd keep an eye on that one. Um, Ron Rivera, Cam Newton, a little reunion, kind of makes a little bit of sense. But, friends, we're just getting started with quarterback coverage. So, as always, stay safe and all that good stuff. Um, I will be back sometime Sunday night slash Monday morning uh, with a recap of what we saw on divisional round weekend. People might be wondering what I thought about Alabama, Ohio State. Alabama's good. Don't overthink Justin Fields. Don't ask your middle linebacker to cover number three if number three is Devontae Smith to one side of the field. Just saying. But like I said, that will do it, kids. I will be back sometime after the, the divisional round games. Until then, stay safe. Checking in your loved ones. Wash your hands. And when you do, sin along. And bless those Patriots reigns. Down in Foxborough.